Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Neppy. The funeral industry in the United States is an important part of how we cope with loss and how we manage the remains of those who've passed. But embalming, cremation, and the vessels we choose for our loved ones to be buried in all carry with them an environmental cost. This hour, we'll talk about some of the challenges our traditions have created, ranging from pollutants released into the environment to space issues as cemeteries fill up. We'll also talk about the growth of more environmentally friendly end-of-life options and how state and local laws and regulations and cost may limit those options. We're going to start the hour with the big picture. Caitlin Hauke is a member of the board of directors of Green Burial Council International, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to inspire and advocate for environmentally sustainable natural death care through education and certification. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. And I, you know, for a lot of people, uh, the kind of death care that we traditionally use, that's not just part of our traditional structure, but it's part of family traditions. We may go to the same mortuary that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents have used over the years. I think that this is part of life, part of death, that a lot of people don't spend time questioning. But let's talk about why we might want to question that. From your perspective, tell me about what some of the, the real downsides of our traditional burials are. Sure. So as a representative of the Green Burial Council, I'll first sort of speak to the environmental impact of a traditional funeral versus a green funeral. Um, So with a traditional funeral, you've got embalming of the body, which is using chemicals like formaldehyde, which the workers are being exposed to, and then we're putting these chemicals into the ground. And then you have your rare woods for your caskets and your concrete vaults and metals for different parts of the caskets and just lots of materials that we're putting into into the ground. And then you have materials that can leach into the groundwater from these and it's, it's very environmentally costly to produce these different materials as well. Um, so there's really a big environmental cost to traditional funerals compared to a green funeral. And, and of course, all of these environmental costs are magnified by the fact that there are so many people who pass away each year. I have statistics from um, Mary Woodson of Cornell University and the Green Springs Natural Preserve in New York. And the statistics say that there are, in the United States, Every year, 4.3 million gallons of embalming fluid used. And again, you mentioned formaldehyde. There are other chemicals that are dangerous involved in that as well. 20 million board feet of hardwoods, 1.6 million tons of concrete, 17,000 tons of copper and bronze, 64,500 tons of steel. So this, of course, like I said, it is magnified by the number of people who die every day and and every Mm -hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and even just in addition to traditional burial, we have cremation is now 
broadly the number one choice, and I think you spoke to this as sort of you do traditionally what the default is during deaths with family members and things like that, and the top two choices are a traditional burial or a flame cremation, and cremation is also an environmentally costly way to to go about handling our dead, too. So our top two choices right now are, are not necessarily the best option for the environment. I, I remember when I was growing up, this idea, this acceptance that cremation was the more environmentally friendly choice. Tell me about some of the, the problems that we create with the way that we do cremation in this country. Sure. So with a flame-based cremation, you're using potentially natural gas or some other material to burn to make that cremation happen. And then during the cremation process, you're getting a release of chemicals and things like uh, mercury from dental fillings are then going up into the atmosphere. So you're creating greenhouse gases, you're burning fossil fuels. So while it's not necessarily using all of the materials of the traditional burial, you're still having an input of energy and you're you're still making CO2 emissions. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the options that are out there. The, the modern funeral industry is, of course, something that most of us have lived with our entire lives, but there were burial options before the modern funeral industry was created. Mm -hmm. So when talking about green burial, is it a return to how things were once done? Pretty much. I mean, we really traditional funerals are the modern option before we had embalming, before we had concrete vaults. We a traditional burial would have been a green burial. You would have just dug a hole in either the family plot or or your church's cemetery, and you would have been buried in there with without all this extra adornment like we're getting with our traditional burials. Let's uh, so it's it's hard to just go back in time. There are a lot of rules and regulations that that govern the disposal of a person's remains now. So tell me what some of the options are. If you want to have a more environmentally friendly burial, and let's focus on burial for right now, what are options that that are either available in different parts of the world or becoming available? Yeah, so certainly just a straight up natural green burial where you're putting a body into the earth unimpeded. So there's no embalming, there's no concrete vault or liner, uh, just putting them in some sort of biodegradable casket or a shroud or, or potentially no outside container and just letting the, the process of decomposition happen naturally is probably the most green option out there. Um, in terms of other burials that would be, you could make the argument are greener than traditional, I and mean, burial at sea is an option. Um, you then have to sort of consider, okay, but then we're taking a boat out into the ocean, so that's going to use gas. And so, like, there isn't a 100% perfect choice out there, but the, the green funeral industry sort of lies on a spectrum and and. Um, I know, you know, you said focus on burial, but we also have like natural organic reduction, which is getting uh, approved in a lot of states lately and it's kind of big in the media. And that's that human composting, um, which is another greener option. And then there's also alkaline hydrolysis, which is a water based cremation, which is still not totally green, but 
a little bit greener than a traditional situation. With uh, actually burying a, a body in a natural funeral or a green burial, there are some differences that, that are significant beyond just the vessel, for example, that, that someone is getting buried in. Green burials are also um, done to a different depth. Tell me about that. Yeah, so a typical green burial, the depth would be about three and a half to four feet instead of the traditional six feet. And the reason that that happens is you want the body to be at the level of the ground where we have all of our good microbes that are going to help with the decomposition process. And so they kind of live at that three and a half, four feet depth. So that helps to enable the decomposition process to happen Uh, naturally and more expediently than if you were to put the body further down into the ground. How long does it take for a body to decompose? It's going to depend somewhat on the environment. Um, The organic material in the body would be able to decompose within a few weeks. Uh, Bones take a long time to decompose. That can be years, uh, decades even, again, depending on the environment. Um, but certainly a lot faster than a traditional burial where you're, you've got that embalming and, and the protection of the casket in the, the concrete that's going to, it's not going to prevent decomposition, which I think sometimes is a misconception with folks that choose traditional burial. They think they have this vision that you get buried looking very pristine with your made up like you were at a wake or what have you. And uh, your body doesn't stay that way. It's still going to decompose eventually. So a lot of us have things in our bodies that are not natural. Um, There are a lot of titanium hips in my family, for example. Does Mm -hmm. that factor into green burial? It's sort of one of those things that there's an understanding that people have these types of implants and things and an acknowledgement that it's you're putting that steel or what have you material into the ground, but it's such a small amount of that material that it's sort of like, it kind of, it just, it is what it is. Um, You could, I suppose, have the option to ask to have those things removed before burial, but I think typically people don't tend to do that. Um, I think by and large, it's more of like, well, I'm still doing a green burial, which overall is going to be less impactful than if I were doing a full-blown traditional burial. We're also concerned about the chemicals and embalming fluids. Many of us who pass away because of cancer, of course, are also putting a lot of chemicals in our body through chemotherapy. Is that a concern? So one of the great things about natural burial and just being put in directly without impediment is the soil is a wonderful natural filter. And so even if you had chemotherapy, if you're being buried, the soil in the immediate area is going to do a lot to capture a lot of those chemicals. And so you're not really going to get contamination of the surrounding area. It's going to stay pretty close to where that body is buried. And then the, the soil does its magic to, to sort of filter out anything that would be concerning. Uh, let's talk about human composting. Can you just briefly describe what that is? Yeah, so it's kind of a more recent concept that we've been seeing a lot in the news. And basically, it's the natural decomposition process sped up. So they are the companies that are offering this are making sort of vaults that they put the bodies in with a bunch of material that helps to 
makes the composting process happen and happen quickly. Uh, there's a little bit of heat involved sometimes to make this process speed up even faster. And it's sort of kind of like your garden composting where you're breaking down the organic materials and then sort of like cremation, you still end up with bones at the end that they then have to, to sort of crush up and incorporate back into that soil. And then when the process is done after a number of weeks, you end up with this kind of large quantity of compost that you can then take to use on your gardens or, or wherever they they want to use that compost, you can take some home. We're, we're going to take a short break. Caitlin, will be back in just a moment. This hour, we're talking about the growth of green burial options. Caitlin Hauke is a member of the board of directors for the Green Burial Council International. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features the Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about green burial options. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll talk about some of the other challenges beyond uh, the environmental pollutants that can be created with some of our traditional burial techniques. We'll talk about other challenges like running out of space in our communities. Also, as we talk about these green burial options, understand that not all of these options are available or legal in the state of of Iowa. We will talk about Iowa's regulations as well as we continue this conversation. With me right now is Caitlin Hauke, board member of the Green Burial Council International. And Caitlin, just before the break, we introduced the idea of human composting. And I know to a lot of people that sounds like a, a really radical idea. Um, you mm -hmm. were explaining it and, and talking about the fact that as the process finishes, then you actually have this compost available. Is, is that something that would be safe? To use in a garden, I think a lot of us are, are kind of uncomfortable with the idea of, of growing food in human remains. Yeah, no, it's it's just like normal garden composting. It's all organic material. It would be good to supplement uh, growing. I know there are some, some places that are offering it as an option. You can donate the compost in there using it, I think, in like a, a conservation forest. So they're going and spreading the compost there. Um, so it's, it's perfectly regular old compost, I guess. All right. And, and then, of course, these are organizations that that are licensed that are are doing this. This is not some a DIY project. No. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, I, I also want to talk about um, you briefly mentioned aquamation. So this is an alternative to our traditional flame based cremation. Tell me how it works. Yeah. So it's Basically, you go, the body's put into a chamber that gets filled with a, a lot of water and then a chemical mixture that's essentially lye. 
Um, it's an alkaline process, so it's uh, going to break down the organic material. The liquid is heated up a little bit, not nearly as much as plain cremation, so it's not requiring as much input of fuel in order to, to heat up that, that vat of liquid. And then it breaks down the body and very much like a flame cremation, you end up again with bones that they end up having to, to use in a, a pulverizer to, to end up with the final product of ashes. Um, and then you get a box of ashes just like you would in a flame-based cremation, but without as much input of fuels and um, without as much you're not getting the offput of CO2 emissions in the same way that you you do in a flame cremation. I read recently that it takes about one-tenth the amount of energy to do an aquamation as it does to do a, a flame cremation. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, yeah. And so again, it's on that spectrum of sort of like kind of in the middle between all of our different options. Are there any other options that, that we've missed that we haven't talked about? I think that's pretty much it for in terms of the U.S. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on the state that you live in. Not every state has acclimation as an option. Not every state has natural organic reduction as an option. Um, but green burial is legal across the United States. It ends up being the usually the municipal or private cemetery rules that end up regulating whether or not it can happen locally. Um, but definitely an option. So from your perspective, uh, this is a movement that that has been growing for years. What do you see in the, the demand for and innovation in green burial right now? I think we're seeing a lot more in the media because of things like natural organic reduction. People are getting more curious. And so it's opening up these conversations that people generally hadn't had before. I think we live in a very death-phobic society, and so we're just starting to sort of peel back the layers of, of having these conversations about death and having people being able to express and give thought into maybe what they want after they die. And, 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 I, and I respect any choice that anybody chooses for themselves uh, in terms of burial or whatever they want to do with their bodies when they die. But I think it's wonderful that we're finally having these bigger conversations where we're covering all of these options. And so people can really do their due diligence of thinking about it and, and putting some thought into it. it. It strikes me that if this is something that is important to you and important to your family, that it's particularly important to plan ahead because these options may not be available or easily available in your hometown. This is something where, where you're going to have to do some research and make some connections. Yes, absolutely. That is the one thing I always tell people when we have these conversations is pre-planning. If you want any sort of non-traditional burial for yourself, do the research ahead of time. Make it easier on your family members. Express what you want to your family members ahead of time. Have it in writing and, and just like do the groundwork so that you can really ensure that you're getting what you want when the time comes. This is a very personal question, but I am curious because obviously you have thought about this a great deal. Given all of the options that we've talked about, what would you choose? I actually really like alkaline hydrolysis or acclimation. Um, however, I live in a state where it is not currently legal, so that would require a little bit of extra pre-planning on my part. I'm hoping to not have to make that decision anytime soon. Yes. 
Um, but if I had to choose, that would be the one that I am leaning towards. Well, and let me ask you about that, because it's not legal in Iowa at this point. It's legal in 28 states. Iowa is not one of them, although it's legal in surrounding states. Um, mm-hmm. is, is that the kind of thing where you can say, you know, I this is my plan. I'd like to use this service and be transported to a different state to use that service. And, and I'm sure that lessens the environmental benefits because of transport. But yeah, is that an option that people can pursue? It is. So there are a couple of states that do require a body to be embalmed in order to transport across state lines. I don't believe Iowa is one of them. Um, So you can make arrangements with a funeral home and say, look, this is the option that I want for me. It's not offered here. Can we make an arrangement with uh, a, a company or a funeral home that does offer it over state lines? And they can make arrangements to do a transport. There is permitting involved with that. And And generally, if you have that relationship with a funeral home, they would be able to facilitate the legalities and and the the specifics of making that happen. But it's totally possible. It also sounds like it could get expensive. Potentially. All right. Something to consider with all of these. Absolutely. Absolutely. Caitlin, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Caitlin Hauke is a member of the board of directors of the Green Burial Council International. And we've been talking about green burial options. Now we're going to turn our attention to the state of Iowa and also some of the other challenges that have been created by our traditional funeral industry. Iowa is known for having plenty of space, but even here, many of our cemeteries are running out of room, and that is a problem that's going to get significantly worse over the next few decades. decades. Carlton Basmajian is an associate professor of regional planning at Iowa State University. He's been researching the intersection of city planning and cemeteries for at least the last decade. Carlton, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. And all right, let's talk about this space issue, because I'm sure when cities were laid out and cemeteries started uh, being used, that running out of space, especially here in Iowa, was not something a lot of us were thinking about. From your perspective, how serious is this problem? Well, you know, I think the, the space issue is is not universal. Right. It's it's specific to particular places. So when I started doing this work 12 years ago, that was actually one of the kind of the questions we had was, well, is there a chance that places would run out of space? There'd simply be no room to put people when they when they died, assuming embalmed burial. And one of the things we realized over the years is that that is a a kind of an isolated problem. So it means, in effect, that in some cities, not necessarily just big cities, but it's perhaps most intense in big cities, but even smaller cities will face uh, space issues. But it it doesn't appear to follow a particular pattern, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. we discovered, you know, Perry, Iowa, that's a, a place that I've done some work. They were running out of space in their municipal cemetery and had to plan for expansion. Um, it wasn't a crisis, but it was a moment where the city had to sort of step in and say, OK, we have to expand the cemetery or we are going to run out of space. Well, I think about articles I've read over the years um, about places like Hong Kong, for example, where space is just incredibly limited and the funeral industry has had to make a lot of changes to accommodate. Of course, in Iowa, we're not we're not facing those kinds of space issues We're we're not needing to build high rise mausoleums. But um 
we are going to be losing a lot of Iowans over the next 20 years or so. We are a very gray state. Right. Absolutely. So I, I think, and it's not just Iowa, of course, it's the it's the entire baby boom generation that is, you know, that, that's aging into the to the to the realm where they do have to think about these things. So I suspect over the coming two to three decades, we will see more cemeteries, small towns, bigger cities run out of space and face expansion. But as your last guest mentioned, the, the shift to cremation and other as a popular form of final disposition has really changed the space demands in a lot of ways. And so cemeteries that might we we might have assumed would run out of space maybe don't have the same space constraints because of the way that people are choosing a different disposition method. So there's there's a lot of fluidity in there that that is not yet worked out. So we're not quite sure what this is going to look like in the coming decades. So now tell me about the intersection of this concern and, and your work and green burials. When did you first become interested in this idea? So I got interested in this about, you know, as I said, 10, 12 years ago with a close colleague of mine. Um, we've been working together on this problem and has been writing about it since then. And we started with just kind of a general question of the cities and communities plan for burial. Is there a community conversation around this? And we discovered that basically there's not. I mean, occasionally, but for the most part, there's no consistent planning around how a community treats its dead. And so as we were doing work, looking into the different dimensions of this, um, we kind of came upon the, the issue of green burial and what it meant and what the land use implications of green burial might be. And so that kind of piqued our interest because it, it struck us that green burial offered more than just a, a kind of environmentally sensitive way to, 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 to bury people, but also a potential for land conservation. And so there's kind of a sub-movement within the green burial uh, movement itself around conservation, which is much more directed toward preserving and restoring land than it is necess- than it is just an environmental or cost, you know, a, a way to deal with those kinds of issues. Okay, explain this for me a, a little bit more. Sure. So the the notion of conservation burial is, I, I guess, much less common right now than than the notion of green burial, but it's essentially the idea that you can use a burial ground to preserve and restore land. So you you do green burial, you do natural burial, right, unembalmed, in a shroud, as minimal as possible. But you spread, essentially, you spread the graves out on a large parcel of land and allow that land to rest, effectively restoring itself. So there's, there's this kind of like, it, it's essentially a land preservation strategy that some, you know, uh, cemetery operators have embar- embarked upon. Um, and it's there's just a handful around the country, but they are really interesting from a planning perspective because they offer this sort of opportunity that simply that's beyond just green burial. Right. And so we, we talk about um, a body returning to the earth, which uh, many of our practices have actually effectively prevented uh, bodies from returning to the earth and, and those nutrients being reabsorbed into the soil. With green burial, that is happening. And in this case, we are using these bodios, bodies to their best effect. Is that what you're saying? I mean, that's that's the argument that that this little subsector makes, and in our research into this and writing about it, we've sort of—I mean, I think they, they kind of convinced me in a way because 
it is a it's a it's a really fascinating way to approach the problem because it it's much more difficult not impossible of course but much more difficult to develop land once people are buried on it so it becomes like it, it, it you know it, is, it it takes on some cultural weight so it i mean it, it's a it's not a perfect protection but it is a protection in that respect and so it can have some very long term impacts and of course the 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 burial impact itself is pretty minimal right i mean that's ultimately adding nutrient to the soil anyway so there's some real you know benefits to 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 doing that would this land then eventually be used for recreational purposes? What what would the intention be? You see, this is the good. This is the question um, that has not really been, or at least we haven't seen this really broached and and discussed much. But so right now, when you see these these conservation grounds, essentially they're using them as preserves, like just passive green space. So the trees grow, the plants grow, the critters come back. And these are places that contribute to what you might say a sort of a broader ecosystem service. Down the line, you know, could you imagine them becoming outdoor recreation spaces? Maybe. I mean, you know, we've seen some discussions in some states around possibly turning these into state parks, right, where they're serving a dual purpose. Once once the burials are done, the land is there and it becomes kind of a, a public really just sort of a public benefit. But that's that's still being worked out. And I, I don't know that anybody has really gotten far enough along with this to sort of say this is what the future right. will look like. And, and I can imagine, again, a sense of discomfort or a sense of disrespect. Mm-hmm. I mean, even we think about ancient burial sites that are part of recreational mm-hmm. land, um, like effigy mounds, for example. Right. And I think that that is a place where the the places where people are buried are treated with great respect from my perspective i there are i'm sure there are others who may disagree with me but that that has to be part of the conversation because of our relationship to those who have gone before 100% and this is part of the this is part of the unknown right is how do we how do we have this conversation and the fact that we're not really having this conversation yet is i think maybe an indicator of what's to come. Like it's it's perhaps overdue because we do need to be talking about this and we do need to be strategizing, if, especially if this is going to be at least one of many tools for land conservation in the future. This is a conversation that you are having with your students, right? I, a little bit. So I have I did a, a, a studio class a, a couple of years ago with the city of Perry. And as, so we were partly brought in to help them think about what the future expansion of their city's burial ground would look like. But we were also kind of exploring what are some options? What are some long-term ways to think about this? So we did a little, you know, we're, it was a college class. So yeah. we did sort of a big Well, I would love picture. to hear more about some of those options that your students came up with in a few minutes. We do have to sh- take a short break, but stay with us, Carlton. And uh, this hour, we're talking about green burial, the green burial movement. In a moment, we're also going to be joined by Danielle Knapp of the Iowa Funeral Directors Association. So we will talk about laws and regulations that may impact your options here in Iowa. Iowa. With me, Carlton Basmagian, an associate professor of regional planning at Iowa State University. And you can join the conversation with your questions, 866-780-9100, or email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. 
But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about green burials. It's a movement that's been going on for decades now and seems to be growing with options that are more environmentally friendly that we can pursue um, at the end of our lives. We've talked about how the funeral industry in the United States, the way that we traditionally bury people, does have an environmental impact. Many of the choices that we make about embalming or cremation or the vessels that we bury our loved ones in do have an environmental impact that lasts for quite some time. We've been talking about some of the options available. And uh, with me is Carlton. Basmajian, he's an associate professor of regional planning at Iowa State University. We've been talking about the intersection between city planning and cemeteries and green burials as well. He is going to stay with us, but I also want to introduce Danielle Knapp to the conversation. She is the executive director of the Iowa Funeral Directors Association. Danielle, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. And I am sure that as you've been listening to the conversation all hour, you've thought, not all of this is legal in Iowa. <laughs> we, we cannot do all of these things right now in the state of Iowa. So uh, give me a little bit of an idea. I mean, the, the funeral industry is governed by laws and regulations that are, are pretty strict, aren't they? Correct. Yes. Okay. So um, as we talk about um, some of these other options, are you as a funeral director and, and being in contact with all of these other funeral directors, are you hearing a lot more demand for environmentally friendly options? I don't think we hear about it as much in Iowa as maybe in other parts of the country. I'm sure it will gravitate this way. And certainly when we have conversations like this, um, people are going to be more aware of it. And so uh, I think as those things begin to be noticed, people will ask for it more. Sure. So uh, let's just talk about embalming, because there are um, religious communities where embalming is actually prohibited as as part of the religion. So when a, a person passes away in Iowa, they're not required to be embalmed, right? No, but a disposition has to take place within 72 hours. So something has to be done. Um, either put on ice or refrigeration or um, but something has to take place. So although embalming is not required, we do have we have to do something within 72 hours. Right. And then that that makes a whole lot of sense as far as the safe caring for of remains that a lot of the regulations have come into um, being because we need to do this in a, a safe way, right? Correct. So if you are a person who does not want to be embalmed, or if your family doesn't want you to be embalmed, or you are part of a religious group that does not believe in embalming, that's something that it sounds like you need to know about. Uh, in advance and, and make sure that, that you have plans and in place and make sure that your wishes are known. Absolutely. I think one of the best things that anybody can do, because we're all going to die, right, is to have a discussion with a funeral director. And they're there to answer your questions. They're not there to tell you what to do, but they're, they're to tell you what you can do and cannot do. 
in each in any state in the United States, but they're there to guide you, answer your questions. And there's a lot of questions um, that can come up during funeral planning processes. And so it's very important to to have that discussion with your local funeral director. And you just like you would if you went to the doctor, you would ask questions uh, regarding your health. You should ask the same questions regarding your death. I understand that not only do we have state law, but local municipalities also have different laws that that influence how we can and cannot be buried. In the way that I was talking about green burial with Caitlin Hauke earlier this hour, being buried um, in environmentally or a biodegradable shroud or an biodegradable container without embalming, is that something that, that can be done in Iowa as the regulations are now? Absolutely. Um, it's dependent on your uh, your city, um, your your county, and um, you know you would want to check with your city and your county, depending on you know what you can and can't do. Not all cemeteries have green burial space, but there are some that that do across the state of Iowa. So it's important to check again. Ask your local funeral director what cemeteries do allow the green burial, the true green burial. So if I'm looking for a funeral director that that may know about this, may care about this, because I'm sure not all funeral directors want to be involved necessarily in green burial, how do I how do I find that provider for my family? I I can only speak to to our membership and I can tell you that any one of our funeral directors would be open to having that discussion about green burial. If that's what the family wants, that's what the um the decedent maybe wanted and the family also wants, the funeral directors are going to have that conversation. I don't think there's anyone out there that would not have that conversation with them to discuss their options. We mentioned aquamation earlier, which is this alkaline um, solution that dissolves most of the body parts, not the bones, um, as an option you know, as opposed to flame cremation. And that's not legal in Iowa now. As I mentioned, it is legal in surrounding states, in Illinois and Minnesota, for example. Do you know what would be involved in in making arrangements to transport a body across state lines? Because that's not a simple process. It is not a simple process, and there's a lot of steps that somebody would have to go through in order to make that happen. You know, the alkaline hydrolysis is... Um, it's new. It's also, I think what people need to understand about that is it, it is costly. And um, and each state is going to have their own rules as to the transportation of the decedent to that location, um, depending on each state. So there's a lot involved in it. And it's not just a matter of saying, hey, this is what I want. And Minnesota, it's legal. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my body taken to Minnesota. Funerals, traditional funerals, are mm-hmm. really expensive. Do you, can you give me an idea of, of ballpark? If, if we say, I want to pursue aquamation, <laughs> is it comparable? Is it way more expensive? It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be probably more than cremation. And, and I think when we talk traditional funerals, um, I think there's a little bit of a misconception out there that they're expensive. They do not have to be. A lot depends on what you're choosing as far as... Your your services, um, your outer burial containers, your your caskets, things like that. Um, even the cemetery can make a difference in in cost. So to say that funerals are expensive, um, 
I think that we have to remember that this is a very important part of life is is death and how we choose to um, remember our loved one is is very critical in that in that step and and so alkaline hydrolysis is more expensive in in a lot of cases than traditional cremation and we are seeing that when people are sitting down with the funeral director that does the alkaline hydrolysis that they're looking at cost and they're choosing cremation. They're going back to a, a flame cremation versus the alkaline hydrolysis because of the cost. Let's talk about Iowa law changes. Are you seeing a, a movement to make Iowa law more flexible to allow for, for example, aquamation? I think that conversation is taking place the alkaline hydrolysis, the human composting uh, definitely have come into legislation. Those discussions are taking place. Um, we are in the middle of, of that season right now and being down at the Capitol and hearing some of those things. It is a discussion, but I think it's it's not moving as quickly in Iowa as in other states. But we're willing to have those conversations and talk about the pros and cons. And I think what we all have to remember is that it really isn't a matter of um, – each separate thing, burial, cremation, alkaline hydrolysis, it is, those are dispositions, dispositions of the body. And, um, and we're able to, to talk about those things and potentially do all those things, but it does come at a cost. We are talking about green burials this hour. With me, Danielle Knapp, Executive Director of the Iowa Funeral Directors Association, and also Carlton Busmagian, an Associate Professor of Regional Planning at Iowa State University. I want to get to the phone. Cecil is on the line in Grimes. Hi, Cecil. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's your question? Um, <clears throat> my plan is uh, a simple cremation, and then I would like to have the ashes scattered in the preferably Mississippi. Raccoon River doesn't do much for me, but oh well. You know, I won't be around <laughs> to see what happens. Um, is there, uh, you know, I just don't want per some permanent mark. I'm really with you guys on, you know, taking up the landscape with all these graves. Don't see much point in it. Uh, so when my uh, heirs look at a river, let's say it will probably be the raccoon. I doubt that they'll want to go to the trouble to, to go to the Mississippi, they will, that, that'll be my memorial. They'll look at the river. Hey, you know, there's the old guy out there in the river, the old man in the river. So the question is, after this lengthy uh, intro, uh, is there any law in Iowa about prohibiting the scattering of ashes? That's a great question, Cecil. Danielle? Yeah, you can't just... You, you can scatter on, on your private land. You can't just go scatter ashes in on public land. So, all right, you can scatter on private land. You yep. cannot necessarily scatter or you cannot scatter on public land. And, and I know that, um, Carlton, when you were working with your class on thinking about ideas for um, possibilities for the future, when you were talking about that cemetery in Perry, a scattering garden was one of the ideas that came up again and again. Tell me about that idea. Yeah, so this was uh, this is not uncommon. In fact, the idea of scattering gardens. A lot of cemeteries have them, and the kids sort of imagined a scattering garden as a quasi public space as well. So they were sort of thinking, 
really the way cemeteries were 200 years ago when they predated city parks as public gathering spaces. They kind of imagined these scattering gardens being formally designed as places not only to memorialize the deceased, but also public at, like places for people to come and to sit, almost like a park-like setting. So they kind of, I mean, I was impressed that they were thinking that yeah. way. Yeah, that seems like a, a wonderful option. Do you know if that's something that's in place in, in cemeteries in Iowa right now? I, I, as it's far as I know, I, I realize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this, I mean, I can speak to a little bit. I think the city of Ames has that in the city's cemetery here. Um, I'm not sure how widespread it is, but, uh, you know, I've seen it in cemeteries in other parts of the country as well. So I, I think it's become fairly common given the rise in, in cremations as the <laughs> sort of, you know, the dominant disposition form now. Well, and Danielle, I wanted to ask you, um, I, when a person is cremated, there are different options available there as well. I know that some bodies are embalmed before cremation. If you want to make sure that that doesn't happen, what kind of arrangements do you need to make? Well, you need to be cremated within that 72 hours, and, and, and all the proper permits have to be signed before that can happen, of course. But yeah, you can be embalmed prior to cremation if there's going to be a a memorial, um, which I always am a big proponent of, but that's my personal opinion. And um, so once you're cremated, then there are several options. There is, you can, um, you can still go to the cemetery and have the urn uh, buried. You can be in a, a niche or a, above, above ground uh, columbarium. You certainly can scatter, and there are cemeteries that do allow scattering more and more every single day. That is really not a public—it is public, but you also have to um, get permission from that cemetery that has scattering gardens. That that makes a lot of sense. And uh, before we run out of time, uh, one of our listeners is wondering about the idea of full body medical donation and and what that process is like as far as disposal of remains after the body has been used. Is that something you know about, Danielle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, After the fact that that the decedent definitely can be cremated or, or buried or whatever the family has chosen for disposition, and they would just work with um, wherever the body was donated to to make that happen. And again, before we run out of time, I do want to ask you about another movement within the funeral industry, which is to use more environmentally friendly embalming fluid. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's... um, this is something at the federal level right now. So formaldehyde is being looked at, and they have not really come to any conclusions that there's, there's such a small amount used in the embalming process. There's water involved. A lot of that um, does, you know, it flushes. So we are having conversations through NFDA and at the federal level on what we what we do and the alternative fluids out there are, they're there. Um, they probably don't work as well, and they are quite costly. And I think that's the thing to remember is anytime we introduce new new fluids or new uh, dispositions, it comes at a cost. So we, we only have about a minute left. And um, Danielle, I am curious, as things progress, 
Um, it, it sounds like your advice is that if you have specific wishes, you need to make them known and you need to make plans while you're living. But this also sounds like something where you might want to revisit it from time to time as the options change. Absolutely. Again, talk to your local funeral directors. That's what they're there for. They're that there to tell you what to do. They're they're there to help guide you and and discuss options with you. And uh, again, with just about thirty seconds to go, Carlton, looking into the future, I, I think about the creativity of your students. I think about some some ideas that may have seen totally un available or unthinkable 30 years ago that are being put into place? What do you think the future holds? It's a good question. Um, I think with the, you know, the, the changing nature of, of the climate, looming climate crisis, we're going to have to really think hard about how we do this. And given the number of dead, I mean, it, it's, it's a complicated question, but I think there's some real optimistic solutions out there. Um, but we just have to settle on them as being accepted. Carlton Basmajian, thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, my pleasure. Carlton Basmajian is an associate professor of regional planning at Iowa State University. Danielle Knapp, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Danielle Knapp is the executive director of the Iowa Funeral Directors Association. This hour, we have been talking about green burials throughout the hour. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. This episode produced by Caitlin Troutman. We had technical support this hour from Tony Sarabia, Steve Cooper, and Catherine Perkins. You can listen to Talk of Iowa anytime. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nebbe.